Ezekiel 6. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers and to the valleys. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. And your altars shall be desolate, and your images shall be broken. And I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols. And I will scatter your bones round about your altars. In all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, and your idols may be broken and cease, and your images may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. And the slain shall fall in the midst of you, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Yet will I leave a remnant that ye may have some that shall escape the sword among the nations when ye shall be scattered through the countries. And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations, whither they shall be carried captives, because I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes which go a-whoring after their idols, And they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, and that I have not said in vain that I would do this evil unto them. Thus saith the Lord God, Smite with thine hand, and stamp with thy foot, and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword by the famine, and by the pestilence. He that is far off shall die of the pestilence, and he that is near shall fall by the sword. And he that remaineth and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I accomplish my fury upon them. Then shall ye know that I am the Lord, when their slain men shall be among their idols, round about their altars upon every high hill, in all the tops of the mountains, and under every green tree, and under every thick oak, the place where they did offer sweet savor to all their idols. So will I stretch out my hand upon them, and make the land desolate, yea, more desolate than the wilderness toward Diblath, all their inhabitants, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you care enough about your people to bring judgment upon us that we might know that you are the one true God, that you remind us and bring us back. And Father, uh, we know we've departed far from your word and your way, and I pray you would keep us faithful to you and bring back us as as we turn away, that you would uh, uh, chasten us to return us to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ezekiel, we've seen he's already been... A pictorial prophecy against his people. God's had him laying out there where everybody can see him. And he's, he's set up a tile to represent Jerusalem. And he's uh, sieging, besieging it and so forth. And God is telling them, 
uh, that's what's going to happen. Well, it ought to be pretty believable considering that the people that are seeing him are already captives in Babylon. Okay, They know they've already been conquered. They've already been carried away. But Jerusalem is not destroyed yet at this point. It's still there. Some people are still living there and so forth. And what's God saying is he's going to bring, bring a complete destruction of Jerusalem is going to come. And so he's, he's warning them through uh, Ezekiel. So also notice how most of, most of the book of Ezekiel is really just directly. Now, the Bible is God's word. And sometimes we struggle to understand, you know, uh, exactly how that is and people debate exactly what it is but the whole bible is god's word we know that it's inspired by god it's all god breathed as he tells us in timothy he tells us that holy men as they were born along by the holy spirit have written these words but in the prophets so much as ezekiel is all ezekiel is doing is writing down what god says to him okay it's pretty direct that's a very uh Easy concept of inspiration to understand, okay? God said, thus saith the Lord, and he wrote it down. That's pretty easy, okay? Now, I fully believe in God's sovereignty and his power, and that he inspired like Paul. Paul didn't say, thus saith the Lord. Paul said, you know, wrote scripture, but it was, uh, he was led by the Holy Spirit to write it down just as God wanted to do. But here's Ezekiel. God says, tell him this. I mean, quote, quote. We just put it all in quotation. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying. So when he comes to speak before the people, he says, God says, and he tells them, Son of man, set thy face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Okay? He's in Babylon still. He's seen these great visions of God, right? You know, the, the four cherubim and the wheel within a wheel and all this amazing things, the glory of God on his throne. But he says, I want you to before he was witnessing that, that uh, siege is going to come against Jerusalem and against Israel and, and Judah in general. But he said this, I want you to uh, set your face toward the mountains of Israel. Okay, well, Israel has a lot of mountains. Jerusalem is the high point and on and on. But he said, this is a prophecy against the mountains of Jerusalem. Well, I don't think the dirt's in trouble. Okay. He's prophesying against the mountains of Israel. Why the mountains? Well, because this is where the idolatry occurs. Remember what they always set up? What do they call them? High places. So what they always do is they go up to a high place, the top of a hill, and that's where they set up their pagan altars and so forth and on. So he got saying, because of your idolatry, here's the judgment that's going to come. And say, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. That's what the judgment is against, is against idolatry. What's the very first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay? What is idolatry? Having other gods before him. He put that one first. He said, that's it. And that's when everything's gone wrong when you're at that point. Okay? When you're worshiping idols, everything else is bad. So he's saying, 
you've directly violated my commandments, even the very first primary one you've broken. So I'm bringing judgment to turn you back. And your altars shall be desolate, and your images shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. So why, let's think of idolatry in the direct terms in, in those days. What did they have? They, they would go to some grove out on a mountain and they would set up an altar. And then at that altar, they would probably put an idol, some image of Baal or Ashtaroth, some of the idols of the pagan Canaanites around them. They would put those idols there. And then they would bring offerings and sacrifices and possibly perform vile acts and all kinds of things. But why did they do that? What, was, what, were, what were they trying to accomplish by worshiping these idols? Well, they were trying to prosper themselves. Because when you look at the pagan idols, what were they idols to? Well, they were the god of the harvest, or the god of rain, or the goddess of fertility. You know, they, they, they were doing this hoping to achieve prosperity for themselves possibly protection from their enemies, but mostly good crops, lots of kids, you know, the things that made a people prosperous. That's what they were trying to achieve by worshiping these idols. And so what's God going to do? He said, I'm going to turn your high place that you've gone to to seek prosperity, I'm going to make it desolate, destroy it, empty. Matter of fact, and I'm going I'm to break down your images, destroy those, and uh, I'm going to put, I'm going to slay the people right there in front of the idols. It's like so. I can just picture uh, this altar up there and this pagan idol. And you come up there, and you, if you came up there later to see it, the idol is all smashed and broken, maybe burning on the fire, and you got dead bodies laying all around it. Is that prosperity? That's not fertility. That's not prosperity. That's not wealth. That's not anything like that. God says, I'm going to show you that you're barking up the wrong tree. Idolatry is not the way to achieve prosperity. And I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones round about your altars. So God's going to say, I'm going to show you how I feel about it your altars and your idols and this and that. I'm going to scatter your bones all around your places of worship. Well, that pretty much ruins it, doesn't it? That pretty much defiles it. What about us today? Well, here's some statistics, and I heard these, and I looked them up, and I just looked on the Internet, but a lot of this data was from, like, the World Health Organization and things that are supposedly reputable and whatever. But in general terms, this is basically... How many people die every day? Okay. Well, so far, the deaths per day worldwide in 2023 are over 300,000. So if you you can take it down to 13,000 an hour, 231 per minute, or 3.85 deaths per second. That's almost four people die every second. So, 4, 8, 12, 16, 20, 24. You get the idea. Death is happening all the time, all around us. Well, okay, 
We, we sort of understand that. You know, there's a lot of people in the world. People are dying, but dying all the time. Those numbers in parentheses, though, those are the deaths to abortion alone. Over half. So if four people are dying per second, more than half of those are due to abortion. Now that just really hit me. Because, you know, we do all these things, right? You've got all these projects and everything going on to get clean and safe water in, in um, Africa. And we've got projects to eliminate HIV. And we've got, uh, you know, all these different things. We're doing all these great causes. We're going out there and we're trying hard to reduce the death rate. Guess what? We could do, reduce the death rate by over half immediately. In other words, over half the deaths are not accidental. They're intentional murders. Wow. This is like we're having to hold up a mirror. I'm sure the people of Israel didn't think they were that bad. I mean, okay, I go up to the high place and I, I offer some incense to asteroids. But, you know, everybody else does. It's just normal society. You know, we've got to be relevant to our culture and that sort of thing. This is just holding up a mirror to us. This worldwide. I didn't pull separate statistics for the United States, but we're as bad or worse than anybody. Usually the United States is, is one of the worst for abortion in the whole world. So, uh, so that was based on numbers. So I, I did pull these. These were the numbers from WHO and so forth, and they agree pretty closely. I mean, they're estimates, but they agree pretty closely with many things I've seen. And they have a, a you know, you've seen the worldwide uh, population clock. You know, they've got this big clock that keeps ticking, scare, trying to scare us, you know, how we're going to overpopulate the world. That's the abortion clock. That's where I pulled it this morning, about 8 o'clock this morning, and it was counting more than one per second. Constantly. That number now will be significantly higher. Clicking. That's just so far this year. Eight and a half million abortions. We're not a quarter through the year yet. This is the first half of March. Eight and a half million. Well, think about that number. I mean, we just get kind of boggled with that number. I mean, everybody agrees Hitler was a bad guy, right? If somebody calls you Hitler, that's pretty bad. Call you a Nazi, this and that. How many people supposedly died in the Nazi? How many Jews died in the Nazi death camps in World War II? Six million. We've beat that already this year. Eight and a half million. We got all upset with uh, 9-11 and less than 3,000 people were killed. Look at us. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing voluntarily. Now, can you think that God's judgment is going to be far away? That's what he's telling Israel. He's saying, I'm tired of you guys and your idolatry. And I say abortion is idolatry. We're sacrificing our sons and our daughters to pagan gods for whatever it is we think we're going to get out of it. Okay. So let's look at the Ten Commandments. How are we doing? How are you doing stacked up against the Ten Commandments? No other gods before me. Well, does our, our country, our world, are we keeping that? No. Bring it a little closer to home. What about our churches? 
no other gods before me. Well, guess what? When churches are uh, falling along in the world's path and adopting all these, approving of all these uh, wrong practices, that's not the God of the Bible. Uh, recently, the news was talking about the Church of England. Okay, Church of England is a little different than over here because it's a state church. right? The King of England is the head of the Church of England. And then you have the Archbishop and all this kind of stuff. So they're trying to change their policies. And they decided not to... They've been trying to push where they would approve, say, homosexual marriage and the full LGBTQ agenda and this and that. But they weren't ready to go that far. So... They said, well, we will not change our, you know, because they've got scripted ceremonies and so forth, church approved ceremonies and all that kind of thing. Like the wedding service that we're um, familiar with, you know, um, that, that's from the, that comes from the Church of England way back and all the traditional vows and that kind of thing. They said, we're not going to change that and have an official homosexual marriage ceremony. We're not going to do that. But, we will have blessings for homosexual relationships. We'll, we'll, we'll have blessings, just not an official marriage ceremony. So in the United States, the Episcopal Church is the descendant of the um, Church of England. And so one official from the Episcopal Church, which most of the Episcopal Church has gone very, very left-wing liberal and accepted all these things, he said he gave advice to the Church of England, and he said, "Just don't go halfway. Just jump in. The water's fine. Go go whole hawk. Just go all the way. Let me just give advice from our experience. We've been doing it for a long time, so just just go whole hog and completely accept and adopt the LGBTQ agenda. Just go all out. Come in. The water's fine." What he didn't say was what the results have been for the Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church, at the current rate of death, I forget what year they said, but like 2040 or 2050, would be completely extinct. They have so radically dropped in numbers since they've adopted this complete liberal agenda. They're falling apart. So he said, yeah, we're we're drowning. Jump on in with us. Just come on in. Drown with us. Go under. That's exactly what he's saying. So um, we have definitely... If a church has taken what God said is evil and said it's good, that's another God before the God of the Bible. No graven images. We're making our own images. Uh, Don't take the the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I would definitely accuse a church that says it's pro-LGBTQ or any issue, whatever, any church that's pro-anything, immorality, stealing, you know, whatever, and you call yourself Christian, you've taken the name of the Lord in vain. Okay? Taking the name of the Lord in vain doesn't just mean using his name as a curse word, which that is bad, but it's claiming you're a Christian when you don't live by God's rules. Okay? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, in our world today, you can't tell there's much difference whether it's Sunday or some other day. It looks the same. The malls are going and blowing and on and on. We still have a few remnants, but most of it's gone. Honor your father and your mother. At the second half, thou shalt not kill. Eight and a half million innocent babies so far this year. I think we failed that one, didn't we? Thou shalt not commit adultery. My goodness, I don't even know what adultery is anymore these days. It's just so rampant. 
Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. I think we get a failing grade on the Ten Commandments. Verse 6. In all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, and your idols may be broken and cease, and your idols may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. Well, no how much people cry, get on the right side of history, no matter how many laws we change, no, no matter how many LBGTQ spectrum people President Biden has on his staff, God's going to put an end to it all. He's not going to tolerate it. They think they're on the, getting on the right side of history. They're getting on the wrong side of God. And guess what? God's going to correct it. You can count on that. When? I don't know. But God isn't going to tolerate us going completely against his ways. And the slain shall fall in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Well, why would God, people now as well, well, I don't like the old mean Old Testament God, but you know, Jesus, he said a lot of nice things and forgive and love and all that kind of things. And so um, why would God bring this horrible judgment down on people? You know, dead bodies laying around their altars. That sounds pretty mean. He did it. He's doing it for a purpose that you shall know that I am the Lord. Instead of these gods that we've made up, no other gods. We've made up all these gods, and we say, "Well, it's this and that." We worship Mother Earth, and we're about climate change, and on and on and on. No, the judgment comes so that we'll know who the real God is. Yet, will I leave a remnant? Like, wow, that's not very encouraging. When you look at our numbers, we're all in trouble. Well, yes, we are. But in spite of this judgment that is going to come, the judgment's going to come, it's sure. I just can't tell you when. Soon. But God said, in spite of all this tremendous judgment, He will leave a remnant. He always said, look at what He did with Israel in the past. I mean, He did. He wiped them out, He said it, but He always kept a few faithful. He's always, He'll do that with His church as well. That ye may have some that shall escape the sword among the nations, and ye shall be scattered throughout the countries. Well, that's certainly what he did with the Jews, right? Scattered them worldwide. But there was still a witness or God's law through them. And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations. Just like when the early Christian church was persecuted, they were scattered. But what was the result of that? The gospel spread worldwide. Whither they be carried captives, because I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a whoring after their idols, and they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. The first step is we need to see ourselves through God's mirror and see our own sinful nature. And they shall know that I am the Lord, and that I have not said in vain that I will do this evil unto them. So he's saying, I'm doing evil. I'm doing something uh, that's not nice, not fun. But he's doing it to bring them back to God. And that's, that's why God brings judgment. That's why he does what he does. 
Thus saith the Lord God, smite with thy hand and stamp with thy foot and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. So he's telling Ezekiel, you know, demonstrate my judgment. He said, you know, smite with your hand, stomp with your foot and show that judgment is coming because it's not always the same way. Some are going to fall by the sword in violent ways. Some are going to starve out by famine and some by pestilence or disease. He that is far off shall die by the pestilence. So it's like you can't get away from God's judgment. If you're not in Jerusalem, if you're far away, well, you can still die by disease. And he that is near shall fall by the sword because God's going to allow them to be attacked again by, the, by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are going to come and completely destroy it. And he that remaineth, if you're still there and you get through all this and you're, besie- you're hiding in the city, you shall die by famine because you'll starve you out. Thus will I accomplish my fury upon them. Well, what's the point of all this destruction? The point is to make them quit turning to idolatry. Guess what? It worked. It worked. Israel and Judah were in horrible idolatry up until the Babylonian captivity. Seventy years God sent them into Babylon, but he preserved them as a people. They had Daniel as one of the high rulers to be with them. You hear the story, you know, of Esther and Mordecai and all this. God took care of his people. But when they returned back to Jerusalem, there is no evidence of widespread idolatry among the Jewish people ever again. Now today, if you took all the Jews in Israel, they don't mostly worship the God of the Bible. But they're not known for their idolatry. They don't follow Allah. They don't follow Buddha. They don't follow Hinduism. They don't follow any of those things. They've turned from their idolatry. They're afraid to go back to their idolatry because of the judgment. That's why he did it. Then shall you know that I am the Lord. That's the point. When their slain men shall be among their idols, round about their altars, upon every high hill, and all the tops of the mountains, and under every green tree, under every thick oak, the place they did offer sweet savor to their idols. So will I stretch out my hand upon them and make the land desolate. Yea, more desolate than the wilderness toward Diblath and all the habitations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. That's his point that we recognize him for who he is. Well, we need to look at his creation and recognize that there is a creator. And then we need to read his revelation, his word, the Bible, and know who is the great creator of all. And then we need to honor God for our creator. If we don't, he can remind us that he's the one true God. Chapter 7. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Also, thou son of man, Thus saith the Lord unto the land of Israel, and end, the end is come upon the four corners of the land. So he says, I'm bringing final judgment. He's not bringing an end to the Jewish people. He's promised he would always keep them around. They're still around today. But he's bringing judgment against the nation. Now is the end come upon thee, and I will send mine anger upon thee, and will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense upon thee all thine abominations." And mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity. But I will recompense thy ways upon thee, and thine abomination shall be in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, an evil 
and only evil, behold, is come. An end is come, the end is come, it watches for thee, behold, it is come. In other words, the end of his patience has come. His judgment is going to come. He's been very patient with us now, but he will bring judgment upon this earth because he's not going to tolerate this evil forever. The morning is come unto thee, O thou that dwellest in the land. The time is come, the day of trouble is near, and not the sounding again of the mountains. Now will I shortly pour out my fury upon thee, and accomplish mine anger upon thee, and I will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense thee for all thine abominations. And mine eye shall not spare. Neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy ways and thine abominations that are in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. So notice what he says we're being judged according to. We're judged according to our deeds. Well, we're all in trouble according to our deeds. Remember our Ten Commandments test? We didn't pass, did we? Because guess what? The only passing grade is 100. And then if you think you passed it that way, then read the Sermon on the Mount and see how, how Jesus interpreted the standard, even your thoughts. But again, um, we, we don't want to be judged by our deeds. None of us do. What we want to be judged by is the judgment of Jesus Christ, by his mercy. Plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can't plead that unless you know him. It's the Lord that brings these things. Behold the day, behold it is come. The morning is gone forth and the rod hath blossomed. Pride hath budded. This is a rod of judgment that's coming. And he, in this case, he uses Nebuchadnezzar to be the rod of judgment. Violence is risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor of their multitude, nor of any of theirs. Neither shall there be wailing for them. For the time has come, the day draweth near. Let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon the multitude thereof. Well, the buyer and the seller. He's basically referring to um, the laws of Jubilee. Okay? If, you, if, you, if things didn't go well, you've had bad times, you couldn't make it, you could sell your land. And then it would come back to you in the 50th year. Okay? But he's saying... Neither should rejoice in these transactions because it's not going to matter because you're not going to be in the land to get your land back at Jubilee. It's not going to happen. You're going to be off in captivity. You're not going to benefit from this. Okay? Um, you know, we think now we think about retirement planning and saving money and our economy and all these kinds of things. Well, there's something more important than that. And I think you've got to be careful about all these things. I think we're in for a lot of economic difficulties in the future. But, you know, it doesn't really matter if you did. If we don't survive, it's not going to matter how much land you own, how much gold and silver you have. For the seller shall not return to that which is sold. Okay? So you can sell your land, get the money now, but then on the 50th year you get to come back and own your land again. Doesn't matter if you've been carried away to Babylon. They were yet alive. For the vision is touching the whole multitude thereof, which shall not return. Neither shall any strengthen himself in the iniquity of his life. They have blown the trumpet, even to make all ready, but none goeth to the battle. For my wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. So uh, 
you think, oh, well, you know, if we get attacked, we, we can fight. We've won lots of battles. Blow the horn. Call the troops. It's like, sorry, nobody's going to answer. You don't have anybody left to defend you with. The sword is without, and the pestilence and the famine within. He that is in the field shall die by the sword. He that is in the city, famine and pestilence shall devour him. But they that escape of them shall escape and shall be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning every one for his iniquity. If you want to escape the judgment of God, you better repent of your sins. Mourn for your iniquity. We, we can escape if we turn back to God and repent of our sins and plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Then he will save us. All hands shall be feeble. All knees shall be weak as water. They shall also gird themselves with sackcloth and horror shall cover them and shame shall be upon all faces and baldness upon all the heads. They shall cast their silver in the streets and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. Now we think, you know, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? Got money. There comes a time when that didn't happen. when the Romans were besieging Jerusalem. It wasn't good to have gold because there was such lawlessness in the city that they would come down and steal anything you have. And guess what? They were, they were so desperate to steal anything you had, they would uh, kill people and cut them open to see if they'd swallowed any of their money. It'd be good to... It'd be good not to have any gold (laughs) under those circumstances. They shall not satisfy their soul, neither fill their bowels, because it is a stumbling block of their iniquity. As for the beauty of his ornament, he set it in majesty. But they make the images of their abominations and of their detestable things therein. Therefore have I set it far from them. Okay, so what have they done? They've, you know, Solomon built that beautiful temple and this and that. But what have they done with it? They've put idols in the temple. Okay? They've totally turned against God. And I will give it into the hands of the strangers for a prey and to the wicked of the earth for a spoil, and they shall pollute it. They destroy the temple. They pollute it. They contaminate it. They take all the riches thereof. God says, look, if you're going to use it to worship idols, you're not going to have it at all. My face will I turn also from them, and they shall pollute my secret place, for the robbers shall enter into it and defile it. So even the Holy of Holies, that was so special that only the high priest could enter once a year, he's going to let the pagans go in and destroy it. Make a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes. So poor Ezekiel, tough job. There he is. And God's made, he said, okay, that's not enough now. You've done these things. Now I want you to make chains for yourself. See yourself chained up. The city is full of violence. Therefore, I will bring the worst of the heathen, and they shall possess their houses. I will also make the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction cometh, and they shall seek peace, but there shall be none. Don't wait too long. There comes a day when it's too late. We need to repent now while we have the opportunity. Mischief shall come upon mischief, and rumor shall be upon rumor. Then shall they seek a vision of the prophet. But the law shall perish from the priest, 
and counsel from the ancients. That's when it gets really sad. I mean, it's horrible to have all these terrible judgments come upon you and all this destruction, but uh, when you can't even find answers anymore. Okay? It's, it's like when I talked about um, some people I met that had moved down here from New York. The woman was sincerely trying to find out how to get saved. She went to churches. She went everywhere she could. She was asking people. She, she's like, nobody knew. There are churches you could go into and they wouldn't be able to tell you how to get saved. You might remember some of Otto Koning's story when he was growing up. He was in the Dutch Reformed Church and then he moved to Canada and so he was in Dutch Reformed there because there were a lot of uh, immigrants he was a Dutch Reformed, and he tried real hard to do everything right. He sang in the choir, he did all this work and everything else, and then he, he realized that wouldn't save him. So he goes to the pastor, the pastor of this church, and asks, how can I be saved? And the pastor says, I don't know if anybody's saved, you are. So, you know, that's a pretty poor answer. But guess what? That's what we got today. I saw Joel Osteen on Larry King Live, and Larry King asked him how he could get saved. And Joel Osteen said, I don't know. Which was pretty embarrassing, because Larry King, although wasn't saved, he knew the answer, because he'd had John MacArthur on there a bunch of times, and John MacArthur told him flat out. But uh, Joel Osteen couldn't answer him. He couldn't do it. And we're getting that way more and more and more. I do believe there are churches with a true gospel message. Absolutely. But there's more and more places with a sign out front that says church on it that you could go into and never hear the gospel. That's sad. And when we get to judgment, it's a sad thing. But when we get to the point where you can't get good counsel from the elders where you can't see a prophet in a vision, where you can't hear God's word, where you can't find people that can tell you how to get saved. Okay? It's not that hard. I mean, the better you know the Bible, the better. And some people you study, you have, you have tracks, you have the Roman road, you have this and that. But it's not that hard to tell somebody how to get saved if you yourself were saved. You don't have to know all the Bible. You don't have to know everything. It's just like Paul said, that Jesus Christ was, was crucified according to the Scriptures. And you might not know all the Scriptures, but guess what? There's concordances, there's books, there's places to look it up. He was buried according to the Scriptures. And He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Gospel is there. It's, it's there to see. It's not hard. We need to tell people there is an answer. The answer isn't good works. The answer isn't joining a certain church. The answer isn't that. The answer is you have to know Jesus Christ. And it sounds really strange to a non-believer to tell somebody you have to have a personal relationship with somebody that died 2,000 years ago. That does sound a little weird. I'll admit it. But if they really want to know, you say, yes, he did. But he didn't stay dead. That makes him unique 
among every religion in the world. Where is Muhammad, the prophet of Allah? Of Allah? He's dead. Everybody admits it. Everybody knows it. Where's Buddha? He's dead. I watched a special on the, the Museum of the Bible that they've built now in, uh, I believe it was the Green family, the Hobby Lobby family built the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And they were talking this and now. This wasn't actually there, but they have lots of copies of the scriptures and this and that and talk about all the influences had and so forth. But they were talking about the widespread dispersion of the Bible. And of course, you start with Gutenberg, but the early Gutenbergs were really expensive. Okay, But then they got down to doing pocket-sized and on and on and on. And it got to where now we live in a world where basically everybody can have a copy of the Scriptures. And what did that do? That opened it up that we can all know God's Word. That is wonderful. What about how did the printing press affect Buddhism? Well, there are tons of books printed about Buddhism, okay? They printed all these ancient scriptures, because there's lots lots of these ancient scriptures and things like that, and they printed lots of them, and they had, I forget the number, there was like 100,000 books or something printed on these things. So the monasteries where they tried to keep all these books, these Eastern mystic whatever monasteries, keep all these things, they have these fancy rotating bookshelves. Because there's so many books, you couldn't put them all out on a flat bookshelf. So they have these big rotating bookshelves. And you see them, they're these wooden things, but they, they rotate and they turn and they turn. But people didn't read the books. They're not put there to read. You don't check them out like a library. You don't even pull them down and look at them. You know, at least in a Jewish synagogue, you could pull down the Torah scrolls and open it up and read it. They put all these books in these big circular uh, bookcases and they turn and they turn and they listen to the sound of the bookcases turning. That is their religion. They don't read the books. They listen to the thump, 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 thump as the books turn around because that's what, that's what it says in there is that they had a quote from this, but basically it says that the sound of turning is good. So they sit there and they use that as their mantra. They use that to meditate to, to go into a trance-like state was this rumbling sound, this consistent sound. Printing press didn't do the Buddhist much good, did it? But look what it's done for Christianity. Every one of us has our own copy of the Scriptures. And so when you walk into the Museum of the Bible, they said the first thing you see is this giant mural. And on the far left, and it's just a mural, so it's representations of these things, but at the far left you have ancient Hebrew script, representing like the, the earliest Hebrew copies of the Bible. And then it goes through and it has, I forget which ones they actually feature, but it has later ones. It has early, the codex, when early Christians began to bind them into books like we do, and it has those, and it has um, uh, the first Gutenberg Bible, the first printed one instead of handwritten one happened then. And the, the very last thing, it has a cell phone with a Bible app on it. Okay. We've got access to God's Word. And it's not the sound of rumbling that we need to be listening to. It's the Word we need to read. 
He said, Mischief come upon mischief, and rumor shall be upon rumor. Then shall they seek a vision and a prophet, but the law shall perish from the priests and counsel from the ancients. We can't lose the counsel of God's word. That's what we need. And I'm so grateful that it spread so thoroughly. But there's still an incredible biblical ignorance. As people have said, we are, for the most part, as a nation, we are biblically illiterate. Okay, That's a sad state to be. People don't know what the Bible says when it's so easily available. I don't know, you know. I don't know how many times I've had an argument with people that uh, God helps them that help themselves is not in the Bible. Okay. That was in Poor Richard's Almanac by Benjamin Franklin, okay? That's not scripture. But they don't believe me. And they, they no, it's in there. I know it's in there. I ask them to show me. Well, I can't find it, but I know it's in there. Would you like to borrow a concordance that shows every word in the Bible? Would you like to search it on your Bible app? Would you like to whatever? It's like, I've read the Bible completely through, cover to cover, multiple times. It's not in there. They still won't believe. That's biblical ignorance. It's okay to be ignorant to start with because you don't know, but it's right there. There's ways to look it up. Read it. So don't just believe what somebody says. Do as the Bereans do. Even when Paul preached to them, Paul commended them because what did they do? They believed every word he said just because he said it? No. They searched the Scriptures to see if what he said was true. That's the way we need to be. And I'm so grateful we have a copy of the Scriptures to search for ourselves. We don't have to rely on some priest to tell us what it says. We can look for ourselves. The king shall mourn and the prince shall be clothed with desolation and the hands of the people of the land shall be troubled. I will do unto them after their way and according to their deserts will I judge them and they shall know that I am the Lord. It's a repeated theme here. The point of judgment is that we'll know that God is the Lord. So if we know that now, we can save ourselves a lot of trouble. When we know it, let's live that way. And then even though our world is heading for judgment, there's just no way about it. I'd like to give you hope that there's going to be a great massive worldwide revival, even just the United States revival, and change that. There might be temporarily, but it won't last. It never has. The first great awakening, the second great awakening. It's kind of like World War I, wasn't called World War I to begin with, right? Because we didn't know there was going to be another one, so it was called the Great War. And it was what? The War to End All Wars. Then we had the War to End All Wars Part 2. You know, <laughs> that, that doesn't sound too well. Well, we know that this world ends in God's judgment. Indisputable fact, because it's right here in Scripture. God's right, been right about everything else, so I figure he's right about that one too. Judgment's going to come, but we can know him now. And if we know him now, we will be spared. Exactly how that happens, I don't know. Maybe we get raptured out before the terrible things come. Maybe God spares us from his judgment like he did with the ten plagues in Egypt and the latter plagues. The Israelites were set apart. They didn't experience those plagues. Or ultimately the death of the firstborn if they painted the blood of the lamb. 
over their doorpost, the angel passed on over and didn't bring judgment. Well, for a lot, I think that, that will be how it goes. But guess what? No matter what happens, we're safe in the arms of Jesus. No matter what persecution in this world, no matter how it goes, we know whose we are and where we're going. So I guarantee that we'll all be saved in the end if we know Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And we can have hope for our world. We need to hope that that message spreads and people accept that while they have the opportunity. They're the ones that are in danger. That's four people every second passing into eternity. So spread the word.